Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx Onyx membership. Onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for you. So know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know the drill. Good optics are a must, whether you're running a red dot sight on your turkey gun or you're running some binos this turkey season, or if you're shopping for a new rifle scope. Vortex Optics needs to be the first place you look. They got something for everybody, whether you're wanting to get some entry-level glass or if you're wanting top-of-the-line glass and really good stuff, they got that too. They also have an unbeatable VIP warranty. If something happens to your Vortex Optic, you can send it in. They will fix it or replace it. Best warranty in the business, bar none. Head on over to MidwayUSA.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN to get a discount on your order of any Vortex product. Again, that's MidwayUSA.com. Go use that promo code SOUTHERN. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the show. Meadow Creek Mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun. And one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun. I personally have used this mount the last two seasons and it's worked extremely well for me. One thing I personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun, it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun. Also an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try you can go over to the website MeadowCreekMounts.com and use the code SOUTHERN at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Waters Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Myers, and this week I am joined by T.C. Lloyd out of South Carolina, and we're going to be talking about catching some monster, and I mean monster shell crackers. We'll probably talk about some crappie as well on here since it's in May, but uh, T.C., how you doing, brother? Good, man. How about you? I'm doing well, man. Not as well as you. Listen, I started seeing some of those posts you were making about some of these shell crackers. I'm like, dude, I'll, I'll, I will give up a good crappie fishing trip to go catch some giant shell cracker. Uh, Reddier sunfish is, is again, the common name, but a lot of us in the southeast call them shell cracker. And uh, just a super cool species, and this is why I'm interested in having this conversation because you don't see a lot of guys that – ever really try to target them at all and, and we're going to talk about this like for you it's very seasonal there's a there's a window time when you really kind of get on them uh when they're more available for you but it's a species uh of sunfish um that get big dude they really do and it's impressive how hard they fight you know they're great eating dude i mean you get some serious fillets from them uh our, my buddy andrew who of course we do with southern outdoors and podcast um his mom at their farm pond they've actually got stocked with red sunfish shell cracker and they've got some pretty big ones in there about a pound pound and a half and uh man there's there's a blast to eat and there's a they're a blast to catch but TC, to kind of kick us off, before we kind of dive into the whole shellcracker conversation, talk to me a little bit about your background. I know you're a guide in South Carolina, but how did you kind of get, like, how did you build your passion for specifically fishing and then, you know, really kind of start focusing on the crappie side of stuff and then, again, kind of lead us towards the uh, the shellcracker waters here? Yeah, man. So I grew up, you know, just hunting and fishing, just whatever 
is best at the time you do, you know, around here. Not necessarily um, die hard on – we all die hard on all of it, really, but not uh, big into anything more than anything else, just whatever, deer hunting the fall, fish in the spring, uh, fish in the summer, you know, squirrel hunt, whatever. But anyway, I joined the Navy, and uh, I moved down to – I got stationed in Jacksonville, Florida, and um, didn't know anybody, staying in an apartment. I was like, I, you know, really – wasn't used to it and um didn't have nowhere to hunt and it was i think it was like february when i was down there and um i started somewhere i saw somebody at a gas station going crappy fishing and i was just talked to them and they was like yeah we're going to um this lake to catch some crappy and you know i grew up crappy fishing and springtime just what i did was talk with kind of long line trolling you know here in the carolinas and georgia everybody pulls jigs or long lines and um you know, so I said, shoot, I'm going to get, I'm going to call my daddy and tell him he was coming up next week. I, and I called my daddy. I had a little 15 foot deer craft, uh, boat. I fished out of them, duck hunter out of, and I told my daddy to bring my, bring my deer craft. And, uh, <laughs> I had a, the comp- apartment complex had a little garage or like little stalls and I was able to rent one. He brought my deer craft and I think I had like four rod holders. And I went out there and was p- pulling those jigs or long line. And the man, I'm gonna tell you, I caught so many fish and there was the guys that, they wouldn't catch you nothing hardly, and uh, because they didn't know how to do the long, you know, the trolling like we do here in South Carolina. Now it's big down there, but it wasn't then. So, so that kind of in Florida, all I could do was fish. Really, um, deer hunting's not great in Florida. Um, just small deer, and I mean, it just it is what it is, you know. And uh, so I just started fishing, and um, after a couple of years, got a bigger boat. Decided that, you know, Navy really wasn't making much money. So I said, shoot, I'm gonna start see if I can take people fishing and make some money, and I did, and that's how I started uh, guiding, and I crappy fished hard for, I've been at it about 10 or 11 years now, real, extremely hard, go all over the country, uh, fishing tournaments for them, and fishing for fun for them, so that's how I got started guiding, it was just crappy, in bluegill, and shellcracker in Florida, um, I think I got a side imaging depth finder when I was, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, and I didn't know anybody that was finding brim beds with them and i went out to st john's river just idling around and i know what a brim bed looked like from seeing it you know the sun hits it and i saw like this honeycomb looking shape on the side of the side imaging and i said that's got to be a brim bed and i threw a i rode by it and threw a buoy on it and got back and uh threw a cricket up in that thing and it just just immediately just took off and then i don't know i had i can't i can't tell you how many of them big big copper nose bluegill i caught in florida when I was down there four or five years, just, I mean, thousands of them, literally. And it's still like that to this day. You can go down there and catch them like that. But anyway, got out of the Navy, moved back home. Um, I work, you know, for a company, but I get a lot of days off. I just continued guiding. That's, that's where I'm at now. Just, uh, I work a little bit and guide a little bit. And my boy's playing baseball, so that kind of ties me up. But I do what I can. Just make a little side money with it. Just, just, just something to do. Help make my boat payment and buy this expensive tackle I like to use. So, that's about it. It's kind of funny you're down uh, stationed down in Jacksonville, and uh, you know I would have thought you know if you're based out there, man, you'd be doing a lot more saltwater fishing. But you know you you just seem to had a a little uh, lick for the freshwater down there, which I mean there there's some awesome bodies of water down there for freshwater opportunities. But uh, that, that's kind of interesting yeah. too because it's like dude, you know I've, we've had other guys on the podcast they moved down to Florida and they stop freshwater fishing and they're like dude i'm, I'm gonna get me a little a small boat start doing some inshore stuff get a bigger boat potentially start doing some offshore but you know it gets real expensive really quickly but uh some super cool opportunities down there in florida for sure yeah i'll tell you real quick about where i was at so if you're in jacksonville 
anybody's from there knows this, but if you get around the Green Cove Springs, uh, Orange Park area of that of the St. Johns River, it's it don't look like a river. It looks like I mean it's a lake. It's it's huge, just a mile wide. You know the channel is only small, but this it, it's a mile wide. But anyway, where that where you're at there fishing, I could catch crappie and bluegill under the docks, and then I could go out to where the channel markers are, and you could bottom fish with shrimp, and you can catch black drum, croaker, whiting, and literally the same exact spot. That's how that's how diverse that area is. So I did a little bit of salt water, but it was when I got done catching a limit of uh them big copper nose or, or crappy or something though oh dude, that's awesome well we, we've got to talk about this because there's so much here I, i'm interested in because you know if anybody's ever gone and we've done a couple different bluegill episodes especially we did some last year um you know one episode talking about fly fishing for me did a couple other episodes though too and like bluegill specifically are just so fun to catch because like their size are so thick like height wise from the belly to the top of their mm-hmm. dorsal fin that when they turn sideways and start kind of like you know really like vibrating that tail super quickly i mean they can they it is such a fun fight when it comes to the fishing it's it's unbelievable opportunity but shell crackers like that on steroids like when you start getting some big shell cracker just i mean how big they can get how hard they can pull you know, just the great eating aspect. And it kind of gets me back to, like, with you in South Carolina, how did this opportunity start coming about, you know, especially with you guiding, especially for a lot more on, on the crappie side of stuff. When did you start targeting shellcracker more so? And at, like, what points of the season were you typically started to try to target them at? Well, around here, it's uh, it's usually April in the first half of May. Um, shellcracker start bedding. The shellcracker will bed – but before the bluegill will 100%. Um, I think it's probably the same everywhere, but around here, there's no doubt they bed before the bluegill do. And uh, so we, I fish Santee Cooper a lot and I'm not, there's a guy, there's a lot of guys are a lot better than me on Santee Cooper. I don't particularly like Santee. Santee's a a lake that's got a lot of where the, where, where the, the water and the bank don't necessarily meet. What I mean by that is it, it does meet, but you may have 40 or 50 feet of cypress trees from where open water sto- uh, stops to where the bank starts. You got all that in between. And then on that lake, the shellcracker bed up in them trees and grass and dollar pads and lily, whatever. They bed up. In, they just like to be around that that, uh, that vegetation and wood. And it makes them really hard hard to find. Um, a lot of the bit, a lot of the guys that catch them, you know, they've been in this, going to the same areas for years their granddaddy's probably caught them there and it's it's hard to get on them really if you don't go a lot but um what i like not what i did in florida and what i i've been finding here in the past couple of years is there's some lakes that you know they have a good clean a clean bank and like i said clean bank just it's open water then it's bank okay they don't have anywhere else to go they got a bed out in, in open water there are some places with grass they can still get in but you ain't got to deal with all these trees and stuff like that and um I target those lakes that I have the past couple of years, and um, and I'm finding like the the the, the shellcracker I'm catching now, or they're they're in open water, they're not around. They may be around grass, but they're they're in open water, clean bottom, and um, I just ride around on my, I I use hummingbirds, and um, I've actually got two, and I can put, uh, I can split split my screens and run one a hundred feet looking to the right, and one a hundred feet looking to the left, or I can go 150 feet if I need to on each side, and I just I, I look for flats, big flats, and um, you know everybody thinks he's shellcracker and bluegill bed up on the bank, and you know that's 
that's not really accurate. You know, there'll be I've got some places where I'm probably I got some places in the main lake where I'm a I'm a quarter quarter mile from the bank. You know, but but it's the right depth, and that's where the fish want to be at. And um, those beds like that, when I find them, you know, those are untouched. I call them virgin beds. I don't have to worry about anybody else messing with them because nobody else is out is out out there looking for them. And um, so that's what I key in on is lakes where I can find them with side imaging, with a good clean bottom, and open water. And all you got to do is just ride, mark them, throw a buoy on them, or now you can use a 360 or perspective mobile garment, whatever you want to use to catch them. And um, if you can find those and you read a side image, and anybody listening to this can go out and catch shellcracker in the south right right now. It's today's May the what 18th or something, so or what 19th? I'm not sure, but right now is the time to be going. The new moon's Friday. You can go get them. So there's uh, I got so many questions. I was taking I'm taking notes kind of as you're bringing points up. But um, before we get into any of these points, I want to really dive into what about shell crackers do you enjoy from an angler perspective, both for catching yourself, maybe taking your son out, but also if if the opportunity arises while you have a client in the boat targeting them if the client wants to. Well, what I like about them, you know, it's just like. Uh, it's just like a girl you like that really don't don't like you. You're going to keep trying to impress her. It's the same thing, I'm telling you, because these shellcrackers are hard to catch. They're hard to catch. You don't get to catch them all the time. So even if they didn't get so big, just just that aspect of it being, you know, like, like oysters. You can't only eat oysters in what they say months that end in a, I don't know, a Y or something. But, you know, the same way is that you can't catch them all the time. Well, you can, but, you know, I don't. I don't really target them unless it's in the spring when I can catch a bunch of them and make it worth my time. Um, you can go catch them throughout the year. Like you said, fishing deep water, rocky points, uh, muscle beds, and you can catch them, but it's slow. And for me, I, I, I don't like them enough to have to do that to catch them. Um, but when I can catch them good and quick and they're big, and that's what I like to do. And um, as far as guiding with them, it's just an option when people go with me. Um, I only really schedule crappy trips and if we can catch uh, bluegill bedding or the shellcracker bedding, I'll offer that to them. And when I do, I, I, I always hope they take it because, one, that makes it a lot easier on me because you just throw up in that thing and they can they can count to five and start reeling there's a fish on, you know. And crappy, I, I think you crappy fish a little bit. Um, you can have 100 fish on a brush throw in there, and you might not catch none of them, you know. And it, So I do encourage people to do it, take advantage of it when I can offer it to them. Um, it's fun. And uh, like you said, man, they get so big. You don't know what you – you might catch a half pound and you might catch a two-pound shellcracker the next the next cast. You know, I mean, it's just – you don't know what what you're going to pull up out of there when you, when, you, when you throw on a good bed. Oh, for sure, for sure. And, again, just kind of going back with this, I, I want to kind of start with uh, imaging equipment before we get to water depth because I do have a ton of questions on water depth because the times when I've caught them, specifically on Lake Gunnersville. Uh, throwing jigs um it's always it's never shallower than like six feet of water it's always six to ten feet of water letting that jig get down there and it's in it's in around sparse grass but like you cast out there and they're and they're in that those little grass beds and then just on the side of it you know there's beds all over and just letting that jig come down and just like be taught just bring it across that grass so the grass maybe only comes up a couple feet off the bottom and just kind of like just keep it top in the grass and then they just come up and right. slam it dude but again, it's like if you yeah. if you were just sight fishing for bluegill beds, you would never catch a shellcracker more times than not. At least on Gunnersville, like where I'm at, uh, right. and fishing there is like yeah, so, always deeper. Yeah, so I've actually been to Gunnersville 
crappie fishing several times and Gunnersville is not like the lakes I'm catching them on. Gunnersville is flat full of grass and stuff. Um, it's Gunnersville's more like more like Santee that I explained earlier. And so I don't know that you could I don't know that it would work as good on Gunnersville as what I'm doing. And and that's the same way it is around here. I mean every lake I go to I can't catch them like I do on the on certain lakes. Just you got you got enough lakes in the area where you're gonna find a bed in the open water somewhere, and that's how I like to catch them. Um, so, but yeah, Gunnersville's a. It's got to be some giants in Gunnersville because the crappie are off the hook in Gunnersville. Let me tell, so, oh, dude, we could totally get sidetracked, dude. I, the biggest crappie I've caught there. I didn't. Even, I should have weighed it, but it was post spawn. It was. It was like in June or July. It was 17 and a half inches white crappie, and uh, and I lost one. Uh, we, that was they were day fishing with jigs that day, and then we were using minnows that that like a night or two later. Now, I hooked one that came up, dude. I swear I thought it was a spotted bass, dude. This thing was huge, right. and it came up and it was under the light and everything. And I was like, that's the biggest crappie I ever laid eyes on, and it was considerably larger. And it was a black crappie, considerably larger than that 17 inch crappie. Uh, not necessarily a yeah. whole bunch by length, but just how much bigger body size it was, just how much thicker. But uh, yeah, dude, I right. go, oh man, there's there's some giants up there, some giant. Hey, I, I, I got some. I got a I got a row in stumps in Town Creek. I might shoot you away for it. I'm telling you right now, if you drop down on you drop down on one of them stumps, you better hold on to that rod. I'm gonna tell you. Well, dude, I hope you're not in Town Creek in freaking March and April, because by God, everybody else is in Town Creek that, that time of year. I mean, that's like oh, that's that, that's, yeah. that is the ongoing uh, like local. I guess it's it's not really a joke, but it kind of is. Like, oh, where are you going fishing today? Town Creek, and like you might not be going to Town Creek, but oh, everybody well, goes to Town hey. Creek. <laughs> <laughs> That's, there's a reason for it because i love town creek <laughs> well, yeah dude, it's, it's known for it there's, there's a reason why there'll be 15 boats slapped underneath that bridge you know starting in you know mid to early march uh and then they kind of right. work their way farther back dude it's it's a fun place but but getting back to shellcracker um i, I want to talk about equipment first you're talking about side imaging being like a huge part and i don't know do you have humbird uh 360 on, on your boat i don't i have one i, I i've taken it off i got the I got the Garmin perspective on there now. Okay. So, so okay, so you, you get the perspective up front. So, talk to me a little bit about when you're going out using uh, both perspective, but also if you're using side imaging, how you're going to go about, like, finding some of these flats and, and figuring out what beds you think are going to hold those shell cracker, as in, like, what exactly are you looking for? Like, again, talk, you talked about the whole honeycomb situation, like what you're seeing on the screen, but also, like – maybe with the imaging how does like water depth play a factor when you're kind of you know idling through areas and you're really trying to find those spots yes yeah, so, i mean they'll bed in a foot of water up to five or six foot of water when i'm catching them now so all i do is get you know you can use a lake master navionics the, a new sea map you can use any as long as you got it just wherever lakes you fish find the best maps you can find for it and then you just pull it up and you look i look for flats i don't just ride the bank I don't just put in the boat ramp and just ride a bank. Like I don't, I don't do that. I go and find flats and I ride flats. And then usually, I mean, cause if you're riding just a bank and it's 20 foot of water, 30 foot out and it's just shallow right next to the bank. I mean, you may find a bed here and there, but you, you but the depth of water they want to be in, is, it's a very small area when you're doing that. But if you get on a flat, you know, you may have, it may be 200 feet off each side of you the whole way through the flat and you just got way more higher percentage chance of finding a bluegill bed or a shellcracker bed. So when I put my boat in, if I know I'm going to look for shellcracker bluegill, I go to flats normally or humps in the lake. Now I do go try to find, you know, some stuff away from everybody, 
and um humps in the lakes are and main lakes are really good for that but and you don't find many but if you find one out there on the main lake and on a hump or something um you got it to you got it to yourself so that's what i look for and and i use what i do is i got like i said i use a hummingbird uh i use helixes and um i'll put them on and i'll ride and i'll mark them i'll mark them even if they don't have fish on when i say what i say my mean by that is when you're riding and you're marking them you can see the fish you know you'll see the black bowls or just you know or just darker colored bowls the potholes of the brim or, or shell cracker and you'll see like like a little white piece of sand, or rice sitting in it and that's that's the fish so you can know immediately when you ride by them whether they got fish on them or not and if they don't have fish i don't just don't fish them but i'll still mark them because you know with, with the moons coming up they may some fish may load back up on them and um so i mark them they got fish i'll ride by a lot of times I'll throw a buoy on the bed. Um, if it's bluegill, I've got four or five bu- buoys. Bluegill spook a lot easier than shellcracker. So um, what I'll do then is I'll mark, if I got four or five fish on them, I'll just mark them. I'll just throw four or five buoys, and then when I get ready to fish, I'll go around and fish the first. Uh, whatever buoy I threw first, I'll go back and hit it where they've calmed down and had time to come back on the beds because you, you'll run them off bluegill. And um, once I do that, man, I just you know I got power poles and um i just put both my power poles down i try and put the motor let, let the wind hit the motor that way it you know keeps me a little bit more steady i power pole down and then you know you just cast toward that buoy and um that's what i've done it for years and now i've got perspective mode on, on my garmin and um you know i can put it you know forward mode to catch crappier than it when i'm bluegill fishing shellcracker now i can flop it around and use perspective mode and i can uh, put that trolling motor down and just turn it left or right and i can see you know i, I may catch it off a main bed but i may move it 30, 30 feet to the left and there's a little small bed with with just five little potholes but they're all for the main bed and usually those are bigger fish so um you can you can really see them now you know it's i just didn't have none of that but now it's um it's really hard for for them to hide now is all i'll say <laughs> No, that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, that, but, we'll keep going. But, but real quick, as, as far as I didn't hit on water depth, like I said, one to five feet. But look, they'll bed in eight or nine or ten foot sometimes too. So you know, you can't if you ain't finding them shallow. I, I don't back off a little bit and look deep. And I don't know. I mean, I I got a lake here at the house that um, I got a brim brim bed right now. It just they just bluegill. You know, they bed earlier on this lake for whatever reason and. It's in like 22 foot of water. I mean, it's wild, you know. So they're really going to bed wherever they want to bed. And there ain't no substitute for time on the water on your lakes. And really, that's the best advice I can give you. you got to spend a bunch of time on the water. Well, the big thing is if you have a home body of water that somebody can go and fish. Like I'm right now where, where I'm at, I'm literally 100 and, um, uh, 400 feet from uh, the lake shore right now where I'm at. And uh, – you know, if you have time to be able to be out in the water a decent amount, you know, whether it's a couple days a week, if you could do, you know, one one day a week, couple mornings, you know, before work, whatever, um, or if you have a lot more opportunity to, be able to go multiple days, like three, four days a week, um, the more and more these flash you're talking about finding and you start marking them in your, on your graphs and then you have all these waypoints you can go to. You can once you find uh, and maybe there's a certain number for you or maybe you're constantly trying to find more and more of these flats and these humps, but after you build up, you know, a, a plethora of these waypoints, 
if you only have a couple hours of fish, you could quickly run to all these different spots, idle through there, and then you know use your side imaging and see, you know, is it active? Is that spot active? Again, whether you saw beds on it earlier, maybe like there was some beds, but there wasn't a ton of beds when you originally marked it. But you have spots you can continue to go back to and, and spot check, especially on those days when you just don't have all day to fish. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, they'll bed in the same spot a year after year. I mean, they may you may have one or two or three or four that – fall off and don't bed don't bed and not bed again um but normally i mean i got beds i've been catching fish on for eight or nine years now in a row you know it's just bed in the same spot every year so if you you long as you mark them and um like you said you can go back and fish them quick and you can go back to them year after year you know where to go to look to see if they've started spawning yet you know and um like you said that does help help a lot Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP20 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. Save space and cut weight with the Sawyer Mini Water Filtration System. This water filter fits in the palm of your hand and has a total field weight of just two ounces. I use this thing all the time. Basically, the way that it works is you get a drinking pouch. So it's literally just a little plastic pouch with a cap on it, like a water bottle cap that you fill up with water, and then you attach the filter to the front of that and squeeze the water through it into, you know, whatever you're holding your water in. Super fast, super easy, super serious filter, filtering out all bacteria, protozoa, and microplastics, so you don't have to worry about salmonella, E. coli, or stuff like Giardia. This saves me a ton of weight, whether I'm doing a long scouting trip or, you know, hunting all day. I get to carry less water with me, taking up less room in my pack, and then when I come to a nice stream, filter out some water, and I'm good to go. Head on over to Sawyer.com to check it out or hit the link in the description of this podcast. Man, Mark's Outdoors is your one-stop shop for everything outdoor and shooting related. They're a family-owned business that's been around for over 40 years now been serving the Birmingham area, but now they have opened their doors to everyone across the United States through their online store. Again, me and Andrew have been using Mark's Outdoors for years now. They have an unbelievable supplies of literally anything that we need we can pick up from Mark's Outdoors. They're even carrying different saddle companies, sticks, platforms, the whole nine yards at Mark's Outdoors. And again, if you don't live in Alabama and you don't want to make the drive to Birmingham, you can go over to their website, marksoutdoors.com, and actually shop on their online store to get awesome deals on different products that you may be needing right now and be able to get to you in a very timely manner as well. So give Marks Outdoors a try. We promise you, you'll enjoy them. They have unbelievable customer service and some of the best guys in the industry. True Lock Chokes has been around since 1981 and still a family-owned operation from the great state of Georgia. True Lock makes every choke configuration you can imagine for any kind of wing shooting, hunting application, but also going to the skeet and trap range. Going into this turkey season, me and Andrew are going to be shooting the new Headhunter series chokes from True Lock and also going to be trying out our buddy Dave Owens' Pinoti Chokes from the Pinoti Project. This is an awesome family-owned operation, guys, that is building all their chokes right here in America, right out of Georgia. If you're looking for a new choke this spring, give TrueLock a try, and you can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 10% on all your orders. So y'all go support this awesome local Southern company and give TrueLock a try. 
And we appreciate True Lock's support of the Southern Outdoors and Podcasts. Let me ask you something, because uh, I always like to try to do this with some of these guests that we have on, because I, I understand like how much electronics plays for everybody. But is there any way to target shell crack, in your opinion, if you did not have side imaging, and maybe you just had basic, you know, two D down imaging, or maybe even didn't have any electronics at all? Is there any way you think that you could figure out a way to target them if you didn't have those kind of electronics on your boat? Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know about two D. You might could use use two D. If you really know how to read it, and you could find just just good hard bottoms where they w- want to be at, and then you could fan cast. But you know, a lot of lakes are clear, and you can see them. I mean, the beds I was fishing today, uh, me and my little boy, I let my little seven-year-old little boy uh, play hooky from school and go with me today. And um, once we were catching, I could see them. I mean, the water was clear enough, the sun was high enough, where I was standing on the front of my deck, I could see every bed I was throwing to. Um, so you can find them like that, you know, especially if areas that's got grass that like i don't even know if it's grass a lot of you know the lake's got it's like green algae on the bottom and it's it ain't really grass it's like slimy algae or whatever um places like that that's where i was at like i was today you just wait till the sun gets high don't don't go fishing until 12 1 2 o'clock in the afternoon and you know just get on your trolling motor or or have a buddy drive your boat and just you can take a five gallon bucket i used to do it for finding bass on beds is i stand on a five gallon bucket and my buddy would drive around and you know, I'd look for bass beds on the five-gallon bucket because I get higher up off the water. So you can still do that. If you look for uh, shells on the bank, you know, mussels or snails or whatever, if you see a bunch of them white snails on the bank, you know, that's a hard bottom, that's a shell bed. Just You can anchor right there and you just bottom fish. You know, you ain't got to – like we talked about earlier, you know, you can catch them not in the spring. You know, you can just – it ain't got to be the spring. You can catch them all the time. You just got to be more patient if you do that and – Fishing those shell beds are the way to do it, but um, as far as seeing them on any other type of electronics, I don't know. Side imaging is just a king. Side imaging is everything now, and anybody listening can get a used side imaging unit for probably less than five hundred dollars. And um, I highly encourage getting ones. All I can say, dude, you can get some new ones for less than five hundred dollars. I mean, they're small little oh, yeah, units, I mean, little, little yeah. six inch units. But I mean, dude, it's crazy how much stuff's gone come down the last couple of years price wise. Oh yeah, it's hey, look. It, it's two thousand what twenty three now. Hey, look, if you're listening, get a side imaging. <laughs> oh man, so let, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, so you know, once you kind of marked your spots and stuff, whether you know you're fishing by yourself, fishing with your or your boy, or having clients out there, what is your approach when it comes to bait selection? I mean, are you doing a mix of live bait and artificial? Are you hundred percent artificial? Well, what is kind of like your take on it, and how do you like to kind of present those baits to those beds? Yeah, I use, um, well, first, no matter what you, like you talked about earlier, no matter what you're using, even for shell cracker, e- even for bluegill on beds, um, you know, those fish are on the bed for a reason. Most of, mostly all you catch is, especially bluegill, you rarely even catch a female bluegill off a bed. It's all just buck fish, every one of them. And, um, and shell crackers, you will catch more shell cracker uh, females or hens, whatever you want to call them, on the beds you do bluegill. But you just want to be near the bottom. They're They're there. They're not suspended. They're they're in the they're in those beds. So get your bait on the bottom first of all, no matter what you use. But uh, today I just used a me and my little boys. Uh, we used a, a, a just a, a slip cork because the beds were kind of in starting two foot, went out like five foot. So if we was fishing the, the top side, we would uh, you know slide our little our little bobber stop. I use these little rubber bobber stops off of Amazon. You can get about a hundred for about five dollars. But um, we would you know. We would use that to adjust our depth, make sure we was on the bottom, 
and all we used was just regular old red worms and um that's what i recommend using our officials are fun to use and catch them but um i don't know they ain't they ain't a shell cracker around that's gonna look gonna let a red worm sit in their face and not bite it i know that so um but like i said i do the slip court and if it's a good clean bottom a lot of times i'll just use an uh i use number six gold alberdeens no matter what i use um but a lot of times i'll use i'll take a little number five split shot and just crimp it on a line with a hook and i'll throw it out there kind of like a carolina rig for bass and just drag it through there and let it sit um i prefer to do that if it's a good clean bottom if this got they're bending around sticks and wood um it's probably not a, not a good idea to do that you want that cork so when you start reeling it kind of lifts that hook and straight up so you can get it back in you know now let's i want to talk a little bit more about bait presentation with the slip cork because again I, I love using a slip cork as well just because of how quick you adjust stuff on the fly when you need to but um you know using a slip cork in that situation when you're fishing between two to five feet of water where those fish are, are, are starting to spawn at and are on beds how are you wanting to position that when you're fishing, you know, a three-foot, you know, depth change there? I mean, you're talking about you want your bait nearly on the bottom or very close to the bottom. You know, if you're fishing two, two and a half feet of water, I mean, are you running out 22 inches, you know, from the from the hook to the bobber? I mean, how do you typically like to set your stuff up for that presentation form? You just want it on the, on the bottom. I mean, I don't – when I'm fishing two foot, I don't care if – I mean, if, if – it's two foot of water. I don't care if I got three feet out as long as I'm on the bottom. Because even if that cork's laying sideways, or the shell cracker hits it, I mean, you're going to see that cork just, even if you got it standing straight up and you're on the bottom, they ain't going to take it under anyway. they just going to take it. You're just going to see it move a little bit. So whether you're on the bottom, uh, like whether you got a foot extra line or you're just right on the bottom exactly, as long as you're on the bottom, you're good. And, um, you know, we fish with our cork sideways all day. If, if our cork's standing up, then I, 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 I reel it back in only and get it on the bottom. I want it sitting on the bottom no matter what. You can put seven foot of line out and fish five foot of water, and that cork's still going to lay sideways. And when that shell cracker hits it, that line moving through it's going to move it enough where you know you can kind of reel up and, and tighten up, and you'll better feel him and set the hook. So that's how I do it. That's a good you know, point. You're talking about uh, like how shell crackers typically bite, and you're 100% right, especially if you're using a bobber. It's like they don't, they rarely take that bobber under. It is like that bobber starts just twitching, and maybe it starts drifting a little bit to the left or right, and then he's got it, and you just pull it up. It's the blue, right. A bluegill hits so much harder on, on live bait. It seems like a bluegill will take that sucker right down. You know, you get a you know three right. quarter pound, pound, pound and a half bluegill, but like shell cracker for whatever reason, they just don't do that. Which is it? That is very interesting when you're talking about that bobber presentation because on artificial, when I come on artificial, like on, on a bladed jig or just a jig, they smack the crap out of it on on a jig. But it's like for whatever reason, live bait, they just I, they don't do it, and uh, I've this exact same thing so right. it's funny you brought that up now i've got to ask when you're talking about you know the having your bait on the bottom that kind of whole presentation um what is like how do you go about say like you have a client that wants to go out there and they've never done this what is like some of your tips you tell them for like again that bobber's probably not going to be disappearing because your bait sitting on the bottom so there's some slack line there how do you go about kind of coaching them through like what to look for and when to set the hook and when to reel down that fish um usually well, what i'm doing with them usually i don't even fish and i just watch their corks and i tell them when when, when they throw it out i tell them to go ahead and if, if they don't throw in the right spot I just tell them tell them you know bring it back in and i get them throw it out and they put it on the money i tell them to go ahead and you know, tighten their line up a little bit. And as soon as I see the cork twitch, if they ain't setting the hook, um, I tell them just go ahead and pop them. And 
Now, doing that, though, we, we got a lot of corks flying through the air some days, you know, back at us. I say, so everybody's got to be careful. But um, I tell them up front, you know, that it ain't going to move. And um, But believe it or not, a lot of people that decide to go shellcracker fishing when I can't offer it to them, they're, they, they, they're pretty good at it. Seems like most of them have caught a few before, and I haven't had much trouble with them, you know. So. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a good point. You know, it's like people, where people can fish, which yeah, it's like people have dealt with that before, and they kind of understand how to handle that situation, at least typically. Um, now, also, right. one thing I'm curious, uh, especially because you're talking about you're, you're wanting your bait typically to be, you know, pretty close to being on the bottom, um, or again, you want your you want your bait sitting on the bottom. What typical rod length do you like to use in this case because if you're talking about using a slip court and you might want five to six feet of line out you know you're probably not throwing a four and a half foot rod so i mean what do you typically throw on your boat we use a i use seven foot rods that's about all i that's about all i ever use whether we crappy fishing uh, or brand fishing when i say brand that you know i didn't come to shell cracker and bluegill um whenever the seven foot rods what is what i use and i got even my clients, I, 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 I've got Shimano Stratic 1000s on every rod in my boat. And um, I use seven. I do got various different rods. I got a couple G Loomis rods. Um, I got a couple St. Croix rods. But I use really good equipment. And um, those those Stratics I use, you know, I bought, I've used a bunch of reels, a hollow reels, and those Stratics. Some of them shell cracker we've been catching, you know, like I said, I went the other day and caught. I weigh 10 over two pounds, best day I ever had in my life, shell cracker fishing. And I'm telling you, if I didn't have them, the Shimano Stratics, a couple of them would have just broke me off because the, the, just the drag on those reels works so good that, you know, you, they're, they're not going to break your line if you're using a good reel. They just, you know, cheaper reels, um, they will fail. The, the, the break on the drag will fail on you. And then these shell cracker are big enough, they will, they will six-pound test will not stand a chance to them. Once they get to the boat and see that boat and get mad, take off, it just ain't gonna hold them. So, um, you know, I, I recommend everybody getting at least one good reel and rod and put in their boat. Oh yeah, no. So, man, again, you think about that. You talk about ten fish over, you know, two pounds. You know, you're talking tw- over twenty pounds of uh, shell cracker with ten fish. That that is so crazy, dude. Now, you're talking about uh, line selection and all that kind of stuff. I mean, typically, are you running? Are you, do, are you doing? Did you say are you using mono or fluoro typically? Um, I'm using, I'm using mono. I'm just using six six pound mono right right now. Gotcha for yeah. for these. Yeah. Awesome. And then, uh, so God, man, this sounds so much fun. I'm, I'm just I'm trying to imagine catching a, a, a shell cracker of two well, pounds. Well, people, maybe. yeah, <laughs> I know people are listening. Some might be like, no, I ain't no, ain't no shell cracker going to just pop these things. I won't. I mean, they're just when they get to the boat. The big ones I was catching the other day. I've, you know, I've only caught maybe one or two ever over two pounds ever, and I caught, you know, all those the other day, and um, I didn't remember how mean the suckers get, and you know, when they're that big and they can turn sideways and take off, it's is wild. It's wild the amount of power that that, that those little fish have. Yeah, oh, and yeah. uh, it was fun. God, yeah, and that's another thing. So, like, listeners, if you're listening to this right now, you can go over to the uh, our social media pages, both on Instagram and Facebook, and you'll see photos of some of these fish. Uh, we'll have it posted up with the actual episode posted on social media. So, again, it's an absolutely zero joke as in, like, the, uh, you know, the size of some of these fish. And it's not like this everywhere. Again, because, like, 
typically, you know, I've hunted, I've, I've fished different bodies of water, and it's like, you know, you, you might would catch a shell cracker three quarters of a pound, but then again, it's not like you're necessarily targeting them, like targeting for those bigger fish. And one thing you mentioned earlier on that I thought was really interesting was when you're using that side imaging, you know, if you're, if you pull up on a flat and you see, you know, there might be a hundred beds out there, but all of a sudden you kind of look over to that left, you know, 30, 40 feet off, and there might be five or six beds kind of off the side of it that still look like, you know, bluegill or shellcracker beds. Those are the ones typically holding big fish. Do you think that is pretty tried and true, at least on the bodies of water that you're at? Like, if you pull up to a situation like that, you're like, hey, let's throw to those five or six beds first before we work on the big group of beds? Yeah, I do it just like I do for um, for crappy. If I was in an area with where there's a big bed or it's a, or I got several little pieces of small, crappy 100%. If you got a brush pile and then there's a log off 20 feet to the left, ain't no doubt 90% of the time the bigger fish are going to be on that log off to the side and um I, I do think there is some of that with the big bluegill and shellcracker um these big ones i caught they were on a giant bed just one big giant bed but um on santee i catch some real big copper nose bluegill and um where i catch them at there's like four or five little potholes for one bed that's it it's just, it's just four or five you pull up you catch two of them and you go to the next one and you catch two um so i think there is some to that and talking about that you know bluegill bed if there's 50 fish on a bluegill bed you'd be doing good if you can catch 25 of them you just ain't gonna catch every one of them they just ain't happen they spook off way too easy um with a shellcracker bed you might look on it and see 20 say there's 20 potholes you might sit there and catch 60 shellcracker i mean i don't know what they do but uh shellcracker ain't spooky and it's like it just it just reloads as as you're catching them. You can just keep going and keep going and keep going, and you can't do that on on a bluegill bed, uh, not normally, you know. Interesting, very cool. Yeah, the uh, that that is interesting. Again, how you notice that those bluegills seem to be a lot more again kind of shy to the situation and cautious compared to the shellcracker. Shellcracker just hold tight, uh, even with a boat kind of motoring past them. Um, now, this is a this may be a dumb question, but I'm asking. I'm going to ask this question because I've seen guys that have a very specific thought on how to fish red redworms. Okay, and a lot of people are going to hear me say they're like, "Why would you even ask this question?" But I've got to get your take on it. Is there a specific way you like to bait a red worm on a hook? And because I've seen guys that fish shellcracker that like to leave a lot of the worm way off the hook, where it's kind of kicking out by itself, while it's like down there in the bottom. And then I've seen guys that do the complete opposite and they run the whole thing on the hook. Do you have a preference at all? And have you tested that at all? What I do mine, you know, when I'm taking people and they fish, they do however they want, and I don't really care how they do it. But when I do mine. I have about a quarter of the worm hanging off. You know, I I I start at the top and hook him, and I loop him and hook him again, and I might loop the hook again, and I maybe have look, if he was if he was four inches long, I got about I got about an inch dangling. That's about it. I don't I don't trust uh, the whole thing dangling. Matter of fact, whenever I was there's a there's a lake about two hours north of me, and I was curious the size of the shellcracker. This is just the other night, and um I so I typed in the lake, and I was like, and I typed in shellcracker. And I just wanted to see some pictures from that lake um, to see if I, I just, it's a long ride. I just want to know if I wanted to go or not. And um, if there was a lot of information about it, I might, I might would go. And I did end up going. But um, I read an article. The guy said he leaves the whole thing dang, dangling off of it. And I said, man, shoot, I ain't doing that. I Dude, ain't doing that. Because I, I don't got no trouble catching them with a, with a, 
with a ant, long as the inch is hanging off, and that little worm can flip his little tail or his head, whatever, whatever hen you get him on. I don't know, man. They, they they'll smoke it. That's all I know. Well, uh, so I bring that up because I've seen guys do the exact same thing, where they literally they will run that. The, you know, it'll be a four inch long worm, okay, for example, and they they are maybe a half of an inch of the worm on the hook, and then the rest of it's off the hook. And I'm like, that I don't know. And like, you know, I've seen guys do that. And actually, you know, you you go on YouTube and see guys fishing for a shellcracker like that, especially like below dams, like faster flowing water, and they'll kind of Carolina rig in it. They're not using a bobbin. They'll just kind of let it kind of drift right. through, and uh, on the bottom. But I was I was thinking the same thing, dude. I'm like, how often? Like, I mean, you get that much worm hanging out. I mean, yeah, a big blue, a big shellcracker, big bluegill. He can suck up a worm, no problem, even a four inch worm like that. But right. but it's like, man, you know, that, that's a lot hanging out there, dude. That you know, I, I feel like gives you an opportunity to be able, you know, miss some strikes because you know whether Correct. you get a slip bobber on or not, he might hit it, but he might not have the hook in his mouth though. Right. Yeah. I don't know. And, and you know, like I said, I, I crappy fish want to do anything. And and even with the crappy, you know, all I catch is black crappy. Normally we don't have many whites around here. And, and I'm in that mindset with black crappy. I use real small baits and even like a two inch Bobby Garland minnow. I mean, I'll take it and bite it in half and, and put it on. So, so, so the hook point is the fish. He can't even touch it without getting a dang on, getting, getting a hook in his mouth. And that kind of plays into maybe why I do my worms like that. But I just want to make dang, dang I'm sure if one, if one sucks it in, he's got he's got a hook in his mouth. When I set the hook, it's gonna catch. Yeah. You know? No, dude, I'm right there with you. I totally get that. Real quick, I gotta ask. Um, but oh, but yeah. go ahead. But if but if somebody was coming my boat with me and I said, look, we don't got everything we we can get out of this bed, and they put the worm on there like that and start catching, I might change my mind. But until then, um, I don't I ain't I don't think I'm gonna leave the whole worm hanging off of it. You know. Yeah, no, I totally get that for sure. Um, real quick, let me ask because um, you know some guys are pretty, uh, I guess, simple when it comes to fish and everything. You know, I love eating crappie. I love eating bluegill. Whole nine yards. How would you compare shellcracker? Someone's never eaten a shellcracker. How similar? Or how different could it be? Say if they've had crappie before or anything else. I mean, to, uh, to be honest, to me, it's all they all they ain't enough difference. For me to make you know any fuss about any of it you know I, we catch white perch here crappy bluegill shellcracker and if i was to play every one of them and fry them and put all four of them separate and tell ask you to pick which one it was i don't think there's anybody in the country that, that, that i can go four for four i'm gonna tell you right now so they're pretty similar to me um i wouldn't say any of them's better on some lakes there are better tasting just because of the uh, maybe it's just the water conditions um but as far as I don't know, but they're all about the same to me. I go by uh, what's more fun to catch at the time, and if I catch Shellcracker, I believe I catch him over over any of them. So um, that's just, you know. For sure. Uh, real, real quick, TC, can you talk to me a little bit about – because, again, you know, love fishing, but do love eating fish too. What What are some of your go-to ways to prepare, you know, Shellcracker specifically? I mean, of course, I'm, I'm sure you have a, a certain way you like to fry them, but is there anything specifically you like to do in order for, like, how you like to prepare them? Yeah, I just when I when I clean them, I normally as soon as I clean them, since it's been hot, I just when I'm, you know, get done filleting them. If I'm going to fillet so much, I don't fillet them unless they're really big. I like to eat eat, eat bone in fish. I even eat, you know, if it's a pound crappy, I even eat eat those bone in. But um, I just throw them in a little bucket of ice water when I'm cleaning them, and then I freeze them with some water. And then when I get when I thaw them back out, um, you know, I will soak them in a little bit of cool water just to keep them firm. And um, 
I'm gonna tell you what I've been doing lately is um, I've been taking a little bit of mustard mm-hmm. and a little bit of that Texas Pete hotter than hot. You got to use the hard and hot. Can't use regular Texas Pete. And um, I've just with a little squirt of mustard, a little a good dab of that Texas Pete hotter than hot, and I throw the toss the fillets around in them, um, and the whole fish too. And then I just coat them in, in, in house altry and fry them up, and that's my favorite way to eat them. You know. That mustard does something to them. It makes them just, it, it just makes them, it just does something. I don't know what it is. It just does something to them. Oh, dude, no, I love this. Yeah, because so I've been doing the whole mustard thing, and it's kind of funny because people, like, see you putting mustard on, on, a, on a fish fillet or even a whole fish, and they're like, what the hell are you doing with it, dude? I've been doing that for, like, four or five years now, and it is a, it is a significant difference for me personally. If I do one without mustard and you just do, like, an egg wash, and then, you know, you bread it and then fry right. it versus the mustard – I, like you said, I don't know what the mustard does to it because it doesn't taste like mustard when it fries up. It's still got that little bit of no, ye- yellow, uh-huh. yellow tint to it, but it um, it, it sounds crazy. But to me, and maybe you tell me if you you get a different opinion on this, it almost makes it seem sweeter. Or I don't know. It's like it, it does something with the flavor profile that, like, if you just do an egg wash, it, it like I don't know. It just I don't know if it doesn't taste as sweet. There's there's something going on there that that mustard definitely makes a, a big difference, even though. You're using it really just as a binder, but for, for whatever reason, when that when that uh, mustard gets fried on that fish, it, it is uh, it is a noticeable difference. And I've I've compared both back and forth and given it to people, and you know nine times out of ten, people always pick the one that I use the mustard as the binder for frying. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's I started doing it maybe two or three four years ago. I don't know, and that's if I fry a fish, um, that's how I do it. And now I don't do anything. I don't do any. I don't do the egg wash anymore. If I'm frying them, that's how I'm cooking them. Yep. So mustard, hot sauce, dip them in flour or house altry or just straight corn, whatever you want, and then fry them. I don't know. It's it's good. Everybody, some people might not believe us, but they tried it. They dang sure believe us. Absolutely, <laughs> dude. Once you try it once, you're like, I'm not going to go back and not do it again. Um, the, the hotter than hot, that's an interesting thing. I, I mean, I've just used, like, you know, uh, Texas Pete, and I've used uh, Frank's Red Hot and stuff, and it's, it's all right. But definitely, you know, having a little bit more kick in there would be probably pretty pretty nice. I'm guessing that a little bit of that flavor profile kind of comes over also in the fry. Yeah, man. That, that, that hotter than hot, if you go look at it, it it's, a, you know, regular Texas Pete got a white label. Uh, hotter than hot's got a black label. So me and some boys at work, you know, we buy it. We buy it. We, we ought to buy it by the pallet. We eat so much of it. But it's uh, <laughs> Texas Peak's delicious, you know. And then this has actually got a little bit of kick to it, man. And it's uh, it don't stick around in the fish that much. You can just taste a hint of it, but it does give it a little, a little. It does spice it up a little bit. And um, my 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 kids can eat it. My wife can eat it. It ain't that bad, but it does give it a little, a little, a little pop. Yeah. You know? I'll, I'll put this out there for the listeners. I've, I've tried so many different things for breading fish for frying, and one thing I've, I've landed on, I don't do it all the time, but I'll do it every now and then, maybe once or twice a year, is getting some uh, Frito corn chips and crushing it up super fine, and instead of using flour, after you do the mustard binder, roll it in that those uh, crushed corn chips, uh, again, just Frito corn chips, and it is unbelievable, dude. Just something different. It, it, it gets still a really crisp edge, but um, it, it again because w- corn chips made out of corn, cornmeal. It has kind of that cornmeal texture profile to it, but it's it, it that the saltness from the corn chips comes across on the fish, and it's fantastic, dude. And that's something that like yeah. I, ne- I never see a whole bunch of people doing. It's different, but that's the thing about fishing, dude. And like you know, blackening. You know, I've, I've done I've done shell cracker. I've flayed it. I, I've I I will cook them. 
if I have the freezer space, because I, I, we hunt so much, I've got a full standing chest freezer and then a, a deep freeze full of wild game, and uh, I got to make fish fit where I can. But uh, if I get the, the space to be able to freeze some some whole fish scaled and just you know cut the head off and everything and gutted, um, I'll do it. But a lot of times it's just fillets. But dude, uh, blackening on the grill, like doing blackened or do it on the grill. Like I've got a uh, we got a pellet grill that we'll cook fish on too, man. And it dude, that stuff turns out so good. But again, it's hard to beat a good fried fish, especially when you're talking about some shell cracker or crappie for that matter. Um, but yeah, so that, that's uh that's awesome, dude. To kind of get your take on it, because again, you know, all of us love to catch fish, but I mean, majority of fishermen, if you're catching fish, you're always you're, you're liking to eat some of it, um, and, and trying to figure out you know what everybody's kind of favorite go tos is always super nice. But um, real quick, uh, TC, because uh, I think we're gonna have to have you back on and talk some more crappie at, at, on another episode. But uh, is there any other kind of last pieces of tip of advice? Um, that you know you could give for the listeners if they wanted to go out and again target you know some of these you know bluegill and or you know really kind of dive deep on the shell cracker uh, anything else that you know is worth noting uh before we kind of wrap up this episode all right yeah the one of the things that people need to realize i feel like is uh don't get caught up on the moon as much as people think they say it that it matters with these uh bluegill and shell cracker respawning i know guys that won't even go sometimes because of the moon um the first wave of the year just go. If it hits May 1st, uh, last couple of weeks of April, go, start looking. Just find flats, find humps out in the main lake. Um, just put hours and hours in on that on your side imaging unit. Um, I recommend everybody get one like I've already said. Um, if you just sacrifice some time, you can catch them for years to come. You'll know where the spawning areas are. And um, just like we said, fish, fish to bottom. Um, I use crickets for bluegill, red worms for uh, – shell cracker and I, I i do use some of them green worms and i don't know if y'all know what i'm talking somebody mm-hmm. may know what i'm talking about but they make yeah they those green worms you drop them in the water they put off like it looks like green chartreuse smoke coming out of them um now them fish do love those but i can't find them everywhere but i mean that's really it time on the water is the only thing you can do to be good at not just i mean not even shell cracker bluegill anything you can't go fishing once a month um, so if you go once a month and get frustrated, I mean, that's just the way it is. You know, you got to put time in the water if you want to catch fish. And anybody fishes a lot, you ain't even got to be a good fisherman. You can just luck into fish. But if you can't do that, if you don't go, so get off the couch and just go fishing. Absolutely. Well, TC, I appreciate you joining us for this uh, week's episode. Listeners, if you've enjoyed this episode, maybe uh, TC's inspired you to go out and catch some shell cracker. If you do. Shoot us a message on social media, Facebook or Instagram at the Southern Waters Fishing Podcast. Let us know. We'd love to get these uh, listener success stories coming in where you know listeners go out and implement some of the stuff that we talk about on the episodes and go have some success out on the water. But TC, greatly appreciate you joining us for this week's episode. And listeners, we'll have to catch you back here for the next episode from the Southern Waters Fishing Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Kyle V host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.